be moving at a pretty good clip this morning, and what I need from you is to be moving right along with me. Because there's also a number of times where, you know how I ask a question and I actually want an answer, and we kind of talk with each other? Some nods of heads would be good. This is not a good start for us, church, okay? Don't be shy. There's going to be a number of times uh, where I ask, and I actually want you to, to give me feedback. And so if you've got something, don't be shy. Let's not be polite. And, oh, are they going to talk? Just shout it out, okay? We've got a lot to cover. Uh, so I want to start by just a quick recap. Um, we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous collection of teachings. He had been going around from town to town, village to village, telling people, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. He said it in every place he went. And finally, people kind of pinned him down and they went, what are you talking about? What does that mean? And so essentially, Jesus says, okay, everybody, gather around. There's hundreds or thousands of people here in this crowd. And he begins to teach them what the kingdom of heaven is like. And he starts by saying the kingdom of heaven is looking for this kind of people. And he went through the Beatitudes. Here's the kind of people the kingdom of heaven is looking to create. Those that are meek and merciful and kind and generous, just like their father in heaven. And then he goes on to the series of teachings telling them, look, it's not just about what you do or don't do, but it's about the posture of your heart. You remember those where he said, you've heard it said, don't murder. But I tell you, don't even be angry at your brother in your heart. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I tell you, don't even lust after a woman in your heart. He's driving everything down to it's what's going on in your heart. And then here in chapter six, he starts getting into some, some spiritual disciplines. When you're praising God, when you're seeking after God, and he, he talks about giving and praying and fasting. He says, it's not just about, okay, did you do it? Check the box and you're good. But he says, it's about the posture of your heart while you do it. And he uses the Pharisees as an example, uh, and he has a very special word for them. Don't be like the hypocrites over here. Their hearts are to be seen by men, but your heart should be to be seen by God. And so what he's really driving in here says the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is about your heart. Now, will that lead to certain actions? Yes. Will that lead to us putting off certain actions? Yes. But it begins and ends with the heart. And so in the middle of this teaching, we come to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but collect for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, first question, and I want feedback here. What does Jesus mean by collecting treasures? Like, what does that actually mean? What is he actually saying? Don't collect these kinds of treasures, but collect these kinds of treasures instead. What's he speaking about? Stuff. Stuff. Wealth. Wealth. Okay, money. He's going to tie it in directly to money later, but is he only talking about money? Power. Power. Position and, like, like the Pharisees were chasing after like what people thought of them, all of this kind of stuff. Oftentimes we take this passage and we take it to only mean money. But listen, how many of you have an actual bank account in heaven where there's actual money waiting for you? No. Not that we know of, not that we can put a dollar amount on. Or We said, we're told that there will be treasures in heaven, but do we really think it's going to be money? Is Jesus saying, stop collecting money here, but start collecting money there? Jesus, how do we even do that? 
What money transfers up there? He's not talking about treasure as we tend to think of it or treasure as the world would label treasures. What he's teaching on here is he's teaching about the things that we treasure. The things that we treasure in our heart. Remember the context of this message here is he's not going do this and don't do that. He's going what's happening in your heart as you do these things. Remember he's been pointing out the Pharisees here and how their heart is wrong. The things that they were treasuring and chasing after were wrong. Real quickly, Matthew chapter 6, verse 2. Whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. I assure you they've got their reward. What were the Pharisees treasuring? Okay, coins. Like They, they were rich and they enjoyed that. But according to Jesus, what were they treasuring? Recognition. The applause of men. They treasured it. It's what they were chasing after. And Jesus says, listen, they got their reward. How well did it spend? As soon as the last clap stopped, what did they have to show? Nothing. It was gone. In verse 5, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. I assure you, they've got their reward. As soon as the crowd disperses, it's over. It's gone. It's spent. They have nothing to show for it. In verse 16, whenever you fast, don't be sad-faced like the hypocrites for they make their faces unattracting, unattractive so that their fasting is obvious to people. I assure you, they've got their reward. It's spent. It's gone. Listen, they aimed for things of earth, and they got things of earth. And here's the thing. Things of earth always disappoint, and they always disappear. They wanted the applause of men. And so they would do these big flowery things, these big religious things. They would draw attention to themselves. But as soon as the applause was over, the hole inside was actually bigger. What they had been chasing after disappeared and disappointed. The things of earth that Jesus says, the treasures of this earth always disappoint and they always disappear. Jesus says to start that whole section off here in, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of other people like the Pharisees. He goes on to point them out to be seen by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Even here, Jesus is telling them you get to choose earthly reward or heavenly reward. This is all part of the same teaching. So if you've heard what we're talking about in verse 19, collecting treasures, and you've always just said he's talking about money. Like, he is, and he uses money as an illustration, but it's so much deeper than that. Are we, are we chasing after, are we treasuring the things of earth or the things of heaven? There's a warning here. I'm going to point out a couple warnings and principles um, in this passage here. And the first warning is this. I think Jesus is telling them, be careful what you choose to treasure. And I'm going to use this word choose a lot because it is a choice. There is a big difference between wanting something and treasuring something. 
And we have to be aware, we make the choice. Otherwise, Jesus was going, don't be like the Pharisees. They have no hope. They didn't choose this. It's just who they are. And hopefully you're not the same way. He's going, this is what they've chosen to treasure. And it's already faded. Don't be like them. Choose to treasure something different. Choose to treasure the things of heaven over the things of the earth. Be careful what you choose to treasure. Because in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our hearts are attached to the things that we treasure. They become our deepest desires. Are we, are we treasuring the things on earth or the things of heaven? Things that are destined to fade or things that will last forever because your heart is attached to the things that you choose to treasure. Don't collect for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but collect for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. Again, he's not just talking about physical moth and rust and thieves. It's the things that can be taken from us, the things that just disappear like smoke. And they're gone. Where did the applause of men go? I just had it. Now it's gone. It's been taken from me. Be careful what you choose to treasure. And listen, here's, here's just a little side note. How do, we, how do we stop wanting from becoming treasuring? What do you think? How do we stop wanting from becoming treasuring? Because here's the thing. When I see something shiny, naturally, I want something shiny. When I see something newer than the thing that I have, naturally, I want the newer thing. Not a choice I make. I see it, and I go, ooh, look at that. How do I stop that wanting from becoming treasuring? Okay. So there's a, there's a focus. The more I focus on the things of heaven, on the king of heaven, the less desire I tend to have for some of those newer, shinier things, whatever they may be in your case. Okay? Sure. Then what the new thing can give us. Sure. She, right. Two things she said there. One is I have to find a deeper satisfaction. One that can only be found in the things of heaven because I was created for it. You, you've all heard the story, I'm sure. There, there's a God-shaped hole in every one of us and there's only one thing that fills it. There's only one thing that truly brings satisfaction. So I have to find a deeper satisfaction than anything this world can offer me. When you've just had an incredibly fine meal and somebody goes, you want to stop by McDonald's on the way home? You're like, are you kidding me? No, I am satisfied. I don't need that. So that's a piece of it. Here's the hard part. We have to die to it. We have to tell ourselves no, which is something we are not good at. We will tend to pray prayers like, God, make me not want that anymore. I don't think God very often answers that prayer, to be completely honest, because we don't grow like that. 
Instead, God, give me the strength to say no. God, help me to, to treasure the things that you're calling me to, not the other stuff. We have to die to self. This is a, a theme in the kingdom of God all throughout the New Testament. Those who want to follow me take up their cross, deny themselves, and follow me. This is an act of denial. I see that new, shiny, promising, whatever it is, and I have to tell myself, no. That is not what I truly desire. Only the Lord has what I desire. That might be a nice thing. That might even be a good thing, but I refuse to treasure it. Is this making sense, church? Listen, it's a choice. It's an act of will that God then comes along and gives us the strength we need, but... Are we willing to tell ourselves no? If not, this Christian life is pretty much impossible. I want this thing, but I will not pursue this thing. Jesus goes on uh, in this passage to share some wisdom that for a long time eluded me, and I was always kind of just confused by and skipped over. He says, for your treasure, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? I was just kind of read that and went, okay. I don't see what that has to do with money. Um, but Jesus said it, so it's got to be good. And I would just kind of move on to the next part. But what he's talking about here, again, when you start to think deeper than just money... He's talking about our hearts. And what he's saying here is, look, the eye is used to see and to desire. The eye is used to focus us. We see something, we want something, we focus on it. Our eye is the only thing in our body that I'm aware of. There might be something else that actually has the ability to, like, through expanding, contracting our retinas, to, like, focus in on something, tunnel vision on something it gives us that ability to focus. And what Jesus is saying is, look, if you focus on things of light, we know how the eye works now better than they had any clue back then. The light literally comes into the body. What we see impacts the rest of our lives. What we focus on impacts every other area of our life. If the things we focus on are dark, then no light comes in and the entire body grows dark. The rest of our life is impacted by the darkness that we focus on. Do you, do you understand this, church? And I think that there's a warning in here, another warning. Be careful what you choose to pursue. The things that we focus on, we naturally pursue. How do I go get that? I'm focusing on it. I, I, I see it. I treasure it, I want it, I go get it. It's the way that we're kind of all, maybe sinfully, but naturally wired. Whatever we focus on, we naturally pursue. And I think Jesus is saying here, be very careful what you choose to pursue. Whatever we fix our eyes on, focus on, we will pursue. And if the things we focus on and pursue are good, then good things come from it. And by good, I don't just mean like worldly good. If they're, especially what Jesus is saying, if they're heavenly, if they're the things we were created to pursue, then our whole body is affected by it, our whole life. We become the kind of people we were created to be. But if the things are, are bad, are dark, 
then we move further away from who we're supposed to be. Our entire life becomes darkness, that kind of wandering around in the dark. Think think about a, a room that is well lit, a really nice light source in the middle. You can see everything. Life is better, right? You walk into that same room, there's that flickering bulb that if you're in a movie and there's a flickering bulb, nothing good ever comes from that, right? Like we've been trained, we know this. It's got that grimy, dirty cover over it. And so there's just shadows everywhere. Nothing good comes from that. And Jesus is painting that same picture here. What are you choosing to focus on? Because what you focus on, you will pursue. Be very careful what you choose to pursue. And then he even says, and and if the eye is dark, he goes, how deep is that darkness? There's this idea of when you begin to focus on things that are of darkness, on bad things, it goes from bad to worse. There's kind of this ever-increasing darkness. And Jesus is going, like, listen, how far down that path are you? Stop before it's too late. How deep is that darkness inside of you? He's offering a different way. So let me ask you this question. What kind of things do we today pursue? We looked at like the, the Pharisees. They were pursuing the applause of men. And he kind of went through all the different ways that they were going, look at me, look at me, look at me. They were pursuing applause of men. What, what kind of other things do we pursue today? Pleasure. I have, I have thoughts on that one. We'll come back to it. Pleasure. Yeah, what else? Safety and security. What was it? Fame. Fame. Absolutely. Even if it's just TikTok famous, I mean, everyone wants that, right? Like, come on. We, we pursue them in different ways, but what they were pursuing back then, it's the same exact things we are now. We just have better technology. We have more things at our fingertips to be able to pursue it. It's easier to get a hold of. Comfort, the avoidance of pain. There's a, we pursue pleasure and we also pursue anything that doesn't look painful, <laughs> that looks easy, that looks comfortable, that means I don't have to get off the couch. I like those things. Rarely does God say, just sit on the couch and do nothing. I think there are times he calls us to that, oddly enough, but we pursue comfort. Uh, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man, but I can just click buy now on Amazon. It's so easy. Instant gratification. We've been trained to pursue it. We've been discipled by the world that that is what we should be pursuing. Look at how great our modern world is. You can have anything right now. You don't even have to get off your butt to get that McDonald's I was talking about earlier. They will bring it to you. Shortly, they will feed it to you, I'm sure. It's available. And we've been told It's good. Pursue it. 
the thought I was having, Anthony, on the pleasure piece. I agree wholeheartedly with what you're saying, except for I truly believe we, we want easy pleasure, quick pleasure, instant gratification pleasure. I believe we were created to experience pleasure. I think Adam and Eve, before sin ever entered, experienced pleasure, but it was pleasure in the fulfill, fulfillment of God's promises. It was pleasure in the way that things are supposed to be. I think God desires for us to have pleasure. We, we've probably, if nothing else, watered down what pleasure actually means and turned it into some of these things that we've been talking about here today. We've settled for something less. We've been told, pursue this because it's easy, because it's instant, because it feels good in the moment. But I think the kind of pleasure that we were created for, none of this is in here, this is just tangent, lasts. You ever had those experiences with God where, where you, like he is in the room and you're like, this is where I want to be. Why have I ever done anything else? <laughs> the, when you leave the room, you don't go, hey, where did that experience go? It's gone. Something sticks with you. There, there is a lasting impression of the, tr the, the true pleasure that comes from God. We just settle for this cheap knockoff of it because it was quicker, cheaper, easier, whatever that may be. I'll say that again, so in case you couldn't hear it, um, a quote, can't remember where it came from, but God is the author of pleasure, the enemy, the best, enemy the best the enemy can do is amusement, okay? Think on that one for a minute, that's a good one. Most of the things we say, we stole from someone much smarter anyway, so... So Jesus goes on, he, he, there's this caution, this warning, be careful what you choose, to pursue. And then he goes on into verse 24. No one can be a slave of two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves of God and of money. Again, this, Jesus obviously is talking about money here, but I think it's an illustration. I think he's talking about much deeper things here. But essentially what he's saying is this, the option to sit on the fence somewhere in the middle is not left to you. You will be the slave of one or the slave of another. You will serve one master or you will serve another. He even says it so strongly, you will hate one and serve the other. These are the options left open to you. Sitting on the fence going, yeah, things of heaven are good, but can't I have things of earth too? Can't, can't I somehow straddle it and get both? Jesus says, no, you can only pursue one. The things of earth or the things of heaven? <laughs> Sitting on the fence just gives you splinters. I like that. Miss Cheryl, you're handy to have around. I'll tell you what. We weren't left the option to sit on the fence because I think there's a principle here. Each of us will be ruled by what we pursue. What we choose to pursue will rule over us. There's a, um, a quote that I've shared before by a pastor named Andy Stanley. And he says this, God isn't trying to keep you from getting stuff. He's trying to keep your stuff from getting you. Because there, there's this lie that we all believe, hook, line, and sinker, that says once I gain what I pursue, I will be master over it. Once I gain the, the control that I'm looking for, 
I will be master over it. Once I gain the respect from others, the applause from others, the, the, the money, the, the security, I will be master over it. But each of us knows that it's a lie. Because at least in little ways, we have, we've gotten it and we found that it ends up ruling over us. Because the number in the savings account was never enough. Now I need more. I, I start living in service to it. I got that new shiny thing and now a huge part of my life is about protecting it and keeping it new and shiny. I begin to serve it. We will be ruled by what we pursue. And listen, we serve a good God. He's not saying don't chase after these things because he's trying to keep something good from us. He's not trying to keep you from getting stuff. He knows that if we ever were less fortunate enough to lay hold of it, that stuff would begin to rule over us. Sorry. So here's the thing. We like to paint a scenario that goes, okay, so either the things of this world rule over me, I'm a slave to them, or I'm a slave to God. But we like to paint this middle ground that goes, but I just want to be in control. But there's a certain scenario where I, I can kind of hold both at bay almost, and I get to be in control. That's a lie. It's a lie. And we know this. Deep down, we know this. We're never in control. We're always serving something. Because it's never enough. We're always chasing after more of it. It is in control. It demands of us, and we respond. Paul says it like this. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because, you have, because of your human limitations. He goes, look, I'm trying to put it in words that you can understand, things that you see around you all the time. There, there were slaves and servants everywhere in their time. And he goes, we're like that. We used to be a slave to sin. Now we've become a servant or a slave to righteousness. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. There is no scenario where you get to be God. It doesn't exist. We will serve sin and our passions and our desires, or we will serve the Lord. Those are the only two options left open to us. And many of us are kind of scared off by that word slave because we think... African slave trade, people taken from their homes against their will. But not to say that didn't exist, there was always a black market back then, but very commonly what it was was indentured servitude. I owe a debt that I can't hope to pay, and so I'm just going to sign up to be in your service. You are now the master, and I am now the servant. This is the kind of thing Paul is talking about. He goes, look, we are always indebted to something. Our sin creates a debt that we could never pay, and so we spend the rest of our lives serving it, trying to get enough, and we never can. Or we place ourselves in the debt of our king who paid what we could never pay, and now we serve in response to that. There is no scenario where we get to be God, slaves to sin or slaves to righteousness. This is the only thing the scriptures leave open to us. And each of us will be ruled by what we choose to pursue So let me, let's, let's take a look at this. Let's try to get real practical with this. 
God isn't trying to keep us from getting stuff. He's trying to keep our stuff from getting us. Put that next slide up there for me real quick. What else could we fill in here to help bring this home a little bit? Like I think if Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, he would have said, God isn't trying to keep you from getting the applause of men. He's trying to keep the applause of men from getting you. Do you see this? What else could we fill in there? It's some of the same stuff that maybe we've already mentioned, but let's just make it very practical. God isn't trying to keep you from getting likes on Facebook. He's trying to keep likes on Facebook from getting you. What else? What is it? People pleasing? Yeah, which, I mean, which is being liked by people, which is being, like, accepted, respected, applauded. God isn't trying to keep you from getting respect from getting acknowledgement or recognition, he's trying to get those things or keep those things from getting you. We just named some things. You can spit them right back out again. It works. What is it? Money. God isn't trying to keep you from getting money. He's the creator of money. He says that he will meet all of our needs. He provides for us using money, but he's trying to keep our money from getting us. Power, God isn't trying to keep you from getting power. Power is not inherently a bad thing, but he's trying to keep power from getting its clutches around your heart. God isn't trying to keep you from getting fame. Can God use famous people? Can fame destroy people? God isn't trying to keep you from getting fame. He's trying to keep fame from getting you. Do you see how this plays out? Each of us will be a slave will be mastered by what we pursue. And God says, anything that isn't me is trying to get you, is trying to destroy you, is trying to to make you a slave to it. But when you pursue me, I'm here to protect. I'm here to provide. I'm here to care for. Each of us will be ruled by what we pursue. We can be ruled by a loving God, Or we can be ruled by our own passions and desires. Those are the options. Which will we choose to pursue? A loving God that has our best interest in mind or our own passions and desires that, listen, we know are hollow and empty. We know that over-promise and under-deliver. Where does it lead us when we are ruled by our passions and desires? What is it, all sorts of bad places? Yeah. yeah. Ultimately, high stress and like sickness to ourselves. Yeah. Physical, mental. High stress, like anxiety. I would say, and I am not a licensed anything, so hear me, but I would say that the majority of our anxiety comes from pursuing our own passions and desires. They're empty, they don't fulfill, there's never enough which leads us to this anxiety, where does it lead us when we're ruled by our passions and desires? Away from God. Hate one, love the other. Pursue one, ditch the other. These are the options. If we're pursuing passions and desires, we have by necessity left God in the dust. Yeah. 
it leads us to a place of darkness. Blind and just, will this work? 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 The answer to all of it is no. Great promises are made by sin, but we know that what's left is just this, a, a deeper emptiness, a deeper darkness. We're left in a scarcity mindset. There's never going to be enough, which leads to anxiety. How do I get what I need, which typically means I need to get it before you get it. I need to take it from you because there's only so much to go around. There's only so much pleasure, stuff, applause from people, fame, likes on Facebook. There's only so much to go around. And if you get it, that means I didn't get it. And so I have to pursue it even harder, which is an anxiety-ridden existence. This is what God is trying to save us from. You guys have probably heard this saying before, sin will always cost you more than you're willing to pay and keep you longer than you're willing to stay. Have you heard that before? That's the idea here. It promises, oh man, this is going to feel so good. You're going to feel so good about yourself. You're not going to have to worry anymore. But as soon as we pursue it, what we're left with is an even greater deficit. It didn't work, and I wasted time, money, energy pursuing it. I'm in a worse place than I was before. No one can serve two masters, since he will either hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves of God and of money. This is why I tell you, don't worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body or what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? You guys looked at this last week. Dan taught on this whole section of anxiety. And Jesus is going, when he, when he says here, oh man, I lost it. This is why I tell you, he's going, when you pursue the wrong things, what you're left with is worry and anxiety. Scarcity, is there ever going to be enough? But if you will choose to pursue God, pursue treasures in heaven, pursue the things of light, you won't need to worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will wear, about your body, you won't need to worry about it. Why? Because you are chasing after a loving God who promises to take care of his people. Hallelujah. Multiple times in, in Matthew chapter 6, he says, your father knows what you need. You don't have to fend for yourself. You don't have to fight for it. You don't have to chase X, Y, and Z. Pursue him, and he meets all your needs. Is there a scarcity with God? Does God ever run out of resources? We know it in our head. Do we truly believe it? Because if so, I would chase after him and gain everything else. Because he is a good father who takes care of his children. But when I choose to put him on the shelf and chase after the things myself, it's like water slipping through my fingers. I can never quite get a hold of it. There's never quite enough. So let me read this whole section again, and then I want to get to a second kingdom principle. Don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But collect for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can be a slave to two masters, since he will either hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves of God and money. 
So the first kingdom principle was that each of us will be ruled by what we pursue. And here's the second kingdom principle. Our king doesn't share. Exodus 34, 14. This is God speaking about himself. And he says, do not worship any other God for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. Jealous people don't share. We can all agree on that, right? Okay. God says, my name is jealous. When God gives himself a name, pay attention in scripture. He says, I am a jealous God. He doesn't share. But let's break this down a little bit because isn't jealousy wrong? Isn't jealousy a sin? How can God be jealous? Okay, he's jealous for our good. Here, again, it's a phrase that I made up, but I think this is at the heart of jealousy, of every jealous thought we've ever had. Someone else has something that I deserve. They have something, and it's not just that like, ooh, they have it, oh, I want it too. They have it, and I deserve it. Why did they get it, and I didn't get it? They have something that I deserve. Let me ask you a question. Just as human beings in general, what do we deserve? Death, punishment, nothing. We are rebellious and sinful buggers. We don't deserve anything, which is why we praise God for his grace and his mercy towards us. What does God deserve? Love and respect. Everything, literally. I think in this case, God's saying, don't worship other gods. I'm jealous for your worship. I'm jealous for your devotion. I'm jealous for your pursuit because I'm the only one that actually deserves it. Who spoke us into being? He did. Who gave us everything we have in this life and on this earth? He did. Who's the only one that truly deserves our worship and our pursuit? Him. He is a jealous God. Listen, when, when I said before, jealousy is always a sin, right? For you and me, every single time. Because we don't actually deserve the things that we think we deserve. How do we use our jealousy? Anger. Anger. The whole point of jealousy is I have to take what you have. Because again, the scarcity mindset, there's only so much of it. And if you have it, that means I don't. So I have to take from you. We use jealousy to misjudge and misrepresent other people, to tear other people down. Because if you're getting the applause, that means I'm not. And so I have to kind of like inch you out of the spotlight so that I can get it. We use our jealousy to tear others down. Let me ask you this question. How did God wield his jealousy? Because he himself said he's a jealous God. His name is jealous. How did he wield his jealousy? He went to the cross. God was so jealous for our worship, for our pursuit, for our devotion, that he said, I will go to any means to get it from you. Not because he needed it, but because that's why he created us, to have that relationship. He wanted it from us. And so he, instead of standing up there and going, how do I manipulate and twist and take from them? He said, how do I pave the way so that they can come to me? I know I'll tear myself down so that they can come to me. 
he wielded his jealousy for our good. Because our king doesn't share. He will not in any way play games and go, that's okay, dabble in the things of the world and just give me whatever's left, that's okay. He's not some pauper begging for handouts. He is a king. And it is not an option to say to a king of any kingdom, yeah, yeah, hold on, I'll be with you in a minute. Yeah, yeah, those things you told me to do, I'll get to those when I have time. No one says that to a king, not even an earthly king. That's a quick way to, to separate head from shoulders. To think that we would look at the king of heaven and earth and go, yeah, 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 you'll get the leftovers is foolishness. He is a jealous God. Our king doesn't share. We will serve our stuff, money, whatever thing we would fill in that blank with, we will serve that or we will serve our king. Hate one, love the other. We cannot serve both. We will be ruled over by what we pursue. But here's the crazy part. We get to choose what we pursue. We get to choose who our master is. The passions and desires that are within me that I know lead to destruction, I've tasted it, I've been there before. Or the king that has my best interest in mind and has paved a way for me to come to him. We get to choose who our master will be, every single one of us. The question is, who will we choose to pursue? You guys looked at this passage last week, and I just want to touch on it again. This is how Jesus ends this whole thought. He says, so don't worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? He's going, don't pursue those things. For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Your Father knows what you need. There's no need to go chasing after them. Instead, pursue him. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and everything else will be given to you as well. I want to end with this quote from Richard Foster who wrote a book called The Celebration of Disciplines. And in it he says this, the person who does not seek the kingdom first does not seek it at all, regardless of how worthy the idolatry that he or she has substituted for it. We either seek the king and his kingdom first or we look ourselves in the mirror and admit the truth, I'm not actually seeking it at all. Because if he is the king, there's no putting him off. There's no, kings don't come in second place. I serve him first. I seek his kingdom first. Or I have to be real with myself, I'm not seeking him at all. No matter how worthy the idolatry I've substituted for it. Yeah, but if you only knew my situation... But if you only knew how much I needed this or how much I wanted that, I've been, I've been working my whole life for this. If you only understood, doesn't matter. We seek the kingdom first, or to be real, we just don't seek it at all. So two warnings and two principles for this morning. Be careful what you choose to treasure. Be careful what you choose to pursue. Because each of us will be ruled by what we pursue and our king doesn't share. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to start um, just by confessing myself. I am so quick to chase after shiny things, things that I desire, things that I choose to focus on, even though I know they'll destroy me, even though I know they take my eyes off of what's most important. 
I continually choose to chase after them. Lord, I repent. It is sin. I confess it to you. I ask for your forgiveness. Lord, the desire of my heart is to seek your kingdom first. I recognize you as king. Your desire comes even before my own because you are not just a king, you are my king. So Lord, would you just bring to mind any of these areas where we are treasuring and pursuing the things of this world, where we are enslaving ourselves to the things of this world? Would you bring them to mind, not just so that we would feel guilty, but because you desire, as Paul said in Romans 6, to free us from this slavery so that we can become slaves to righteousness as we were meant to be, so that we can find pleasure and purpose as we were always meant to have that only comes through service to our one king. So would you come and just do this work among us, Lord? This is not about guilt. The enemy uses guilt. This is about turning away from things that are killing us and pursuing life that is only found in your hand. So come, Lord Jesus, do this work, I pray. It's in your name. Amen.